This episode of the Single Tracks podcast is sponsored by Health IQ, an insurance company that helps health conscious people like you get special life insurance rates. Go to healthiq.com slash singletracks to support the show and to learn more. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks podcast. My name is Jeff and today Aaron and I are going to be talking about something that a lot of us put off and a lot of us don't really enjoy and that is mountain bike maintenance. You know, keeping up to date on mountain bike maintenance has a huge payback over the life of a mountain bike. So today we're going to talk about why mountain bike maintenance is so crucial and we're going to offer some strategies for developing a regular routine that focuses on the most important areas. So Aaron, you're our resident expert on mountain bike maintenance. Are mountain bikes high maintenance? Do you think they're a lot more work than other items that people might own? Uh, I guess it depends on what your other items would be, but mountain bikes can certainly be high maintenance, kind of depending on the type of bike you're riding and also where you're riding it. Obviously, the simpler the bike, the easier it's going to be to maintain. So the simplest bike is the one with the fewest components, which would be a completely rigid, that means no suspension front or rear single speed. You know, from there, adding a suspension fork is going to increase your maintenance. Adding gears is going to add even more. And then if you go to a full suspension, that piles on additional considerations. So all that said, modern mountain bikes are much more reliable than they were even a few years ago. And with some basic maintenance and regular cleaning, you can avoid a lot of common problems. Yeah. And we were talking about this, I don't know, it's probably been months now, but we were talking about how road bikes don't seem to take as much maintenance. You know, you can ride them for thousands of miles without really doing anything. I mean, I rarely lube my chain on my road bike, which is pretty amazing because I ride it to work almost every day. Uh, Is that your experience as well? Definitely. And I think that's just a condition of where you're riding. You know, if you're riding on the road, you have you know, dirt and grime and grit from the road, but it's nothing like riding on trails where you're constantly dirt. You're maybe going to be riding through creeks. So that adds another element to it. Um, Whereas the road bike, it's a fully rigid bike. You know, I'm assuming most people don't have any suspension on their road bikes. So that just makes it a really, a really simple machine. And like I said, you know, the fewer moving parts you have, the, the less you're going to have to maintain. Right. And aside from even just, you know, sort of like you talked about the dirt and the um, mud and water and things like that, that are on the trail. I mean, we ride mountain bikes a lot harder, you know, we'd smash them into stuff all the time. And right. yeah, it seems like that definitely plays a role in it as well. You know, another thing to just uh, mention is, you know, how much you're riding and the kind of trails you ride. Um, even your climate can all have a impact on your maintenance schedule. So if you ride a lot, you're going to have to do more maintenance. If you're smashing into stuff on more technical trails, you're going to have to do maintenance more often. And if you have like extreme conditions, like some of our listeners in the UK have to deal with mud this time of year, I guess pretty much year round there. Or if you're out West and you have really dusty trails, that's a, you know, that really fine moon dust that you'll find in some areas can, um, really work its way into into your components and cause havoc just as much as mud can. Yeah. You bring up a good point too, that maintenance requirements have a lot to do with how much you ride. So, you know, if you look at your buddy or something and, and you feel like you're doing a lot more maintenance than he or she is, you know, a lot of that could just have to do with 
how much you're riding. You know, it's not necessarily your bike or your skills at maintaining your bike, but those miles just really add up over time. So what are some of the consequences for being sort of lax in your mountain bike maintenance? Well, to uh, bring out an old quote from old Benji Franklin, this one's been attributed to him, but like, who knows if he actually (laughs) said it or not, but he said, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So basically what that means is staying on top of your maintenance now will prevent or significantly delay major repairs down the road. You know, if you, if you look at your drivetrain, for instance, if you keep it clean, you lube your chain, you know, you do that kind of thing regularly, that's going to extend the life of all those components, you know, to go further on that, you know, if you replace your chain regularly, you'll get more miles out of your cassette and your chain ring. Because if you let your chain get too worn, that ends up damaging your chain ring and your cassette. And at that point, putting on a new chain isn't going to solve any shifting problems. And then you'll end up having to get a new chain ring and a new cassette cassette anyway. I feel like you're talking directly to me right now because I've (laughs) definitely done that and learned that lesson the hard way. Yeah, I think we all have. You finally decide it's time for a new chain and you put one on and your bike still shifts like crap. And that's because your chain ring and your cassette get worn to that chain. And once it's past, you know, well past its prime, then your components get, get prematurely worn. And it's a lot, it's a lot cheaper to, uh, you know, replace those things. Right. Um, it's a lot easier to replace a chain than it is to replace a ring and a cassette also. Yeah. And delaying that, you know, $20 maintenance job of, of swapping out the chain ends up costing you the cost of a cassette and, you know, who knows what else. So exactly. I mean, and you know, with uh one by drivetrains, depending on what brand you're running, like SRAM's cassettes, for instance, are just, they're, they are not cheap. Even a GX level cassette, I think like an 11 speed GX cassette is probably, you know, 90 or a hundred bucks. And if you're looking at an Eagle cassette and one of the 12 speed cassettes, you know, you're looking more like $200 for Ooh. their, yeah, for their least expensive cassette. Um, whereas, you know, a higher end cassette like the XO one or the XX one is going to be more like three or $400. So a $30 chain starts to look uh, a little more reasonable at that point. Definitely. You know, the same thing kind of goes for your suspension. Like if you don't, keep your seals clean, uh, you know, dirt will work its way inside your fork. It can damage the internals. If you don't replace the oil, your bushings and wipers will dry out and then you get scratches on your stanchion. And then the scratches act as like little funnels to let more dirt inside your fork. And so it just ends up being a vicious cycle, which means once your fork is scratched up, you're going to have to perform maintenance even more often just to keep it running as it should. Yeah. When I talk about maintenance or when I think about it anyway, a lot of it to me is is about, you know, just being diligent about checking your bike. And we're really talking about preventative maintenance. So that means checking over your bike, making sure that everything is working the way it's supposed to and addressing problems if they come up. So one of the consequences of not doing that, of not being diligent about checking your bike is um, you can have problems that start out small, but they end up getting bigger and worse over time. Um, and you know, that could affect everything from the frame itself, you know, like prematurely wearing out, uh, parts of your frame to, yeah, the individual components. So definitely some serious consequences if you don't pay attention to your bike. So on the flip side, what are the upsides to staying on top of all this? 
For me, I think the biggest upside is just having a bike that you can be confident in. You know it's going to work. You know it's not going to let you down. And I think there's something to be said for that peace of mind. And, you know, I like to say if you take care of your equipment, it'll take care of you. And if you're riding in the backcountry, you want your bike to be working, you know? Yeah, definitely. It does give you a lot of peace of mind. The other kind of main benefit, you know, apart from having a bike that works well, is if you stay on top of your maintenance, you're more likely to catch a minor issue before it becomes a major issue. Like let's say you know, you're cleaning your bike and you notice that the face plate on your stem is cracked. Well, finding that out in the shop is a with your bike in a stand, that's a much better place to uh, to notice that than out on the trail and having your handlebars come off in your hands. Yeah, and you don't waste your time, you know, getting all the stuff ready and driving out to the trail and then having your ride cut short. You know, it's better to figure that stuff out in the shop at home before you invest a whole lot of time and effort into getting out on the trail. Okay, so we kind of hinted at this in the beginning of the show, but how do you structure your maintenance tasks? Do you look at sort of the number of miles that you've ridden to let you know when to do things or do you base it on time? Like, you know, it's been three months since I checked my chain length or, uh, you know, it's been a year since I've looked at my fork. What are the metrics that you use to know when to do maintenance? Yeah, well, you know, obviously I'm not your typical rider. You know, I'm always testing new parts, so things are constantly getting swapped out from bike to bike. So my bikes rarely stay in one configuration for more than a month or two, really. Basically, I'm constantly pulling bikes apart and putting them back together. So all that to say, my my bikes are very well maintained. You know, everything gets yes, cleaned. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, everything gets cleaned and lubed and torqued properly when it goes back together. And that just goes back to, you know, having a bike that you can be confident in. And I just like working on bikes um, anyway. But there aren't really any hard and fast rules as far as mileage goes. Again, it kind of just depends on like how you ride and where you ride. After all, you know, 500 miles of riding in Florida is going to be a lot different than riding 500 miles in Moab. But, you know, that said, most you know, suspension manufacturers are going to recommend service intervals based on the number of hours ridden. So there's you know certain things you need to do after 25 hours or 50 hours or 100 hours. And, you know, basically that boils down to doing things like once or twice a season. The one thing I will say that I do check regularly is my chain, again, for the reasons we mentioned earlier. And I do that probably every couple of months or so, and then I replace as necessary. Yeah. To me and to a lot of people, I think it's really hard to keep track of all that. You know, I've heard people say that they use like Strava to help them figure out, you know, how many miles they have on a bike or, you know, on a particular part, but it's not really set up well to do that. And then on top of that, if you have multiple bikes, how how would you keep track of, you know, what needs to be done to which bike and when? Yeah, I I do use um, Strava a little bit for that. But like you said, it's not the best setup because it only gives you, you know, it gives you like your total mileage on that bike. So you can't say like, how many miles did I ride on my hardtail in 2017? You know, it's just like, this is the lifetime mileage of your bike. I mean, you could go in and make profiles for every time you change something. You know, you could say like hardtail with new chain or something, (laughs) but that, that would get a little bit tedious. But really what I would recommend is that you get yourself a little notebook for your shop, stick it in your toolbox, just lives there with a pen and 
you keep track of things like you know serial numbers for your frames put your write down your suspension settings and when you replace a certain component and i would probably do that like by date and then you know you generally know how much you're riding so do you have one of those i do absolutely i'd love to see it <laughs> yeah it's got all kinds of notes you know i'd I write down weights of things and yeah, like obviously, like I said, suspension settings are one of the good ones because testing multiple forks and shocks across different bikes, you know, there's no, you know, there's no like one setting that necessarily follows bike to bike to bike. So you have to have all those things for each individual bike and that just makes it easy to keep track of. Seems like something you could put on a smartphone too. Not to knock the notebook thing, but it's true. I would probably put it on a smartphone. Yeah, it's just nice. I mean, I, I kind of like the uh, the analog of writing it down and yeah, much respect. Getting some grease in your notebook and yeah, it comes like a little scrapbook of <laughs> that's your true of your yeah. time with your bikes. Yeah, so like I said, I'd love to see that because yeah, that's like a really cool like record of it. It's almost yeah, like your passport or something. Yeah. And like I said, I like um, to write down the serial numbers for your bikes, which is always a good thing to have on hand in case your bike gets stolen, which is obviously bikes a bummer. Bikes don't get stolen. <laughs> Occasionally. Or you just need that info, like if you crack your frame or something like that and you need to have easy access to it, it's good good to have on hand. Honestly, I mean, really one of the best ways to know when something's wrong with your bike is just to listen to it. You know, I mean, if, the same same thing like your body. You know, if your knee's creaking, then... Something's probably wrong with your knee. Maybe you want to get it checked out. And same thing with your bike. If your drivetrain's making weird noises or something's creaking, something's popping, something's grinding, there's a pretty good chance that uh, there's a problem and you're going to have to perform some maintenance. And I was just thinking about your notebook too. You know, that seems like it would be a great place to keep receipts and things too for bike parts that you buy and, you know, keeping track of the purchase dates and things uh, in case you do break something prematurely and maybe there's a warranty issue. There's definitely a lot to be said for being organized like that. For sure. Great. Well, after the break, we're going to talk about some specific maintenance tasks that almost anyone can do on their own. And hopefully it'll give you some motivation to get a little bit better organized. But first, a word from our sponsors. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for mountain bikers. Just like saving money on your car insurance for being a good driver, Health IQ saves you money on your life insurance for living a health-conscious lifestyle. Hey, Aaron, what's the longest mountain bike ride you've ever done? Uh, it's pretty long, Jeff. I think it was like 345 miles. Whoa, got me beat. Personally, my first and last 100-mile bike ride was the Cajuta 100. Turns out that Health IQ looks at mountain bike race finishes to help you get a great rate on a life insurance policy. That's right, Jeff. You don't necessarily have to ride 100 miles either. If you're racing or even just riding regularly, you can share that data with Health IQ to get exclusive rates from top life insurance companies. In fact, 56% of Health IQ's customers saved money on their life insurance. The savings can be pretty substantial, up to 33% for qualifying individuals, which should free up some cash for that carbon wheel upgrade I've been wanting to do. You should definitely upgrade. So how does the process work? It's actually pretty simple. Visit healthiq.com slash singletracks, enter some basic information, and a Health IQ agent will call you to walk you through the process to get a quote. And they'll continue helping through the entire process of selecting a policy. They won't just forward you on to an insurer. To see if you qualify, 
Get your free quote today at healthiq.com slash singletracks and be sure to mention the promo code singletracks when you talk to one of their helpful agents. Don't forget about the Singletracks podcast contest going on right now. To celebrate our 150th episode, all it takes to enter is to go to singletracks.com slash podcast 150. That's podcast 150. Enter today and we'll announce the winners on February 1st, 2018. We're back. So Aaron, what are some things that riders would be wise to check before or after every single ride? First and foremost, tire pressure. Most of us probably just squeeze the sidewalls and kind of gauge it from there, but running the wrong pressure can definitely ruin a ride. It can cause unnecessary wear to the tire and can even ruin your rims, uh, which I have been guilty of doing just that, you know, um, about a year ago, I, I did the little squeeze test and I was like, ah, oh, this is fine. I was just riding some neighborhood trails. So I figured, you know, just a quick after work ride, but yeah, I got out to the trails, jumped down into a little Rudy section. Like I do every time I ride there, but my rear tire was too low, smashed the rear wheel into a root and just absolutely destroyed the rim. So that was an expensive mistake. And if I had just taken the time to put five or six more PSI in my rear tire, I wouldn't have had to rebuild a wheel. Yeah. And it's, I mean, shoot, it's even easier than checking your chain, you know, or like replacing a chain, like literally just make sure you have air in your tires and a lot of things will go better that way. Yeah. I'm way more diligent about checking my tire pressures now. And I even bought a little uh, digital gauge, little SKS is the brand. Uh, It's about 25 bucks, but I found it to be really handy, especially when you're switching between multiple pumps. uh, Because as I found out, you know, the pump that I use in my shop and the pump that I keep in my truck have completely different readings. So that's just something to keep in mind to actually keep your pressure consistent when you're going between pumps. And like if you're riding with somebody else and you, you know, you ride to the trailhead with your buddy and you use their pump, like who knows, you could be getting a third reading from there. So just keep this little, you know, keep a little pressure gauge with you and you'll always know exactly that you have the, uh, the right pressure you need. Yes. Amen to that. All right. Brakes are really important too. What's uh, what's a good brake check to do before every ride? Yeah. Just, just uh, give your brakes a good squeeze. Just make sure that Levers are holding pressure that they're not pulling all the way to the bars. And maybe just give both wheels a, a quick spin to make sure your rotors aren't rubbing. Right on. Okay, next we have the chain. We talked about making sure that your chain isn't too stretched, but what about lube? Do you, you check that every ride? And uh, how often do you how often do you apply lube to your chain? Well, yeah, you definitely want to make sure your your chain is clean and lubed. You know, if your drivetrain is squeaking at the beginning of the ride, it's not going to get any better during the ride. And your <laughs> friends will probably regret inviting you to ride with them. Sometimes mine gets better when it gets wet. But, that's probably <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, only briefly. Right. Really, I mean, if you get in the habit of cleaning and lubing your chain after each ride, then your bike is always ready to go when you when you want to head out again. It also gives time for the lube to penetrate into all the little nooks and crannies of the chain because if you slap a bunch of lube on a chain and you go for a ride immediately after that, you're actually going to attract more dust and dirt to your chain because your chain is wet, essentially. Again, it really depends on the conditions you're riding in. You know, Sometimes in the summer, 
if the trails are, are dry, but you know, not too dusty, I can get several rides in before I need to, you know, really clean and lube my chain. But I mean, if it's late summer, it's bone dry and the trails are just blown out and super dusty and you may need to clean and lube your chain after every ride. Again, it comes down to like, just listen to your bike. If your bike's making noise, it needs, it needs lube. Yeah. And you make a really good point about doing the maintenance or, you know, checking your chain lube after a ride and making sure it's ready to go for the next time. I mean, this, for so many reasons, this is a good idea because it, for one thing, you're going to skip over stuff a lot of times if you're not ready for the next ride. I know this is what I'm guilty of. I'll, I'll do a ride and I'm like, oh, shoot, my chain's kind of squeaky. And then I'm done with the ride. I throw the bike in the garage and I don't think about it again until the next time. And I'm in a hurry this time. I got to get to the trail, you know, and my chain's still squeaky and, oh, shoot, I don't have time to fix it this time. So for that reason alone, I think that's why a lot of us defer maintenance on our bikes and let things get out of control because we don't plan ahead. And there's never time right before the ride to get stuff done. So might as well do it after the ride. Yeah. And you don't, you know, you don't want to always be the, that guy or girl who's everyone's standing around looking at you, (laughs) waiting for you to finish getting ready before the ride. Right. And I mean, it can also help you get out and ride more. I mean, I'm sure there are times that all of us have thought about going for a ride and then we remember, oh shoot, you know, there's three things I got to do on my bike before I go. So I'm just not going to do it today. And yeah, maybe we can get out and ride more if we keep our bikes in good shape and and do it um, at the time that it needs it and not defer that maintenance. All right. So another big part of maintaining your bike is keeping your bike clean. I've found it's a good way to spot problems before they come become major. Like Aaron was mentioning, you know, you might have a crack in your bike that you wouldn't notice uh, just from riding it, but you know, you're cleaning it and you you see it starting to form. Uh, it also makes working on the bike easier. I know that's one of my hangups sometimes is, you know, I hate working on bikes because they're so dirty and gritty and stuff doesn't fit together right. And a lot of times that's because the bike's dirty and I am just working on a dirty bike. So Aaron, do you have some tips for cleaning a bike? Yeah, sure. I would say, I mean, there are kind of conflicting opinions on how often or how vigorously you should clean your bike. I have some friends that they get their bikes like back to a showroom shine after every ride, no matter how how short or <laughs> not dirty the ride was. I don't I don't go quite that far personally. Um, again, I just kind of clean my bike as needed. So in dry weather, keep the chain clean and lube, and that's about it. Maybe if I did a race, and my bike is covered in a mixture of like sweat and drink mix and <laughs> you know just grossness. I might rinse it off and wipe it down. Otherwise, I just, I leave it alone. Yeah. I have friends who wear as a badge of honor, like how long it's been since they cleaned their bike. You know, they think that having that nice patina on it is a good thing (laughs) for the bike. You know, it's like a layer of protection, but yeah, I think that's going too far too. Yeah. I mean, obviously if your bike gets really muddy, you should clean it. You know, if your bike's in really rough shape, sometimes it's kind of best to do that in stages. So spray off all the big chunks first and then kind of go back with soap and brushes to do more of the detail work. You don't want to start with brushes if your bike is really muddy because you'll basically create a rubbing compound with the mud and water and that can actually damage your frame or components. Um, you know, you can, I mean, it might be just something as, uh, you know, superficial as like 
rubbing your your clear coat on your paint so like the paint looks dull but i mean it could be if you're really getting after it like you could be scratching your your fork stanchions or um you know your your rear shock or something like that and that's that's not a good it's not a good thing to do you know there there are tons of bike specific cleaning products and tools out there i mean basically everybody sells a kit with a bunch of different brushes in it and all these special cleaners and all this kind of stuff but you don't have to spend a lot of money to get a clean bike i just use cheap dish soap a bunch of various brushes and sponges that you can get from any grocery store and i have a five gallon bucket all that stuff just lives in the bucket so it's ready to go Uh, you know just pop the lid off and there's my soap there's my brushes and sponges and you know just squeeze some soap in the bucket fill it up with some water and you're ready to clean yeah. And your method too. Um, I mean, I imagine you use a hose for some parts of that, but you don't have to either. I mean, if you got a, can get a bucket of water, uh, you can do a pretty good job cleaning your bike. And I don't know if people saw these videos or not, but Colton did a good video about cleaning your bike when you, if you live in an apartment or somewhere where you don't have access to a hose or, you know, a good bike wash facility. Um, in fact, I think, didn't he like show himself giving his his bike a shower yeah he did uh, in his apartment yeah so you can get creative but yeah you don't really have to <laughs> if you can get a bucket with some soapy water you can get a lot done on your bike yeah exactly that that's definitely a good point to bring up i know i have some friends here that live in apartments or condos and yeah it is it is kind of a pain to to get their bikes clean when they, when you don't have easy access to a hose there are, I will say there are a couple of nice things to have uh, for cleaning your bike. One is a, a dedicated chain cleaner. Again, it just speeds up the process of cleaning your chain, but not something that's required. You can get your chain pretty clean with uh, some elbow grease. Uh, another one is a chain keeper, and this lets you remove your back wheel and clean the chain without it constantly falling off the chain ring or the chain rubbing on your frame. Basically acts as, there's some call, sometimes called like a dummy hub, and it just uh, it just holds the chain up so it's not just scratching your paint and being a pain to work on. Mm, yeah, I was going to ask you about that, if you have to actually take your chain off to run it through these or if you can do it with it still attached to the bike. Yeah, if you're using a chain cleaner it's and you don't have like the little, the dummy hub, um, you can just leave your wheel on for that portion of it. Otherwise, you know, you can take your wheel off and use the dummy hub and then use your, your chain cleaner on that. And basically just a chain cleaner is um, they're like two brushes that are one goes on top of your chain and one goes underneath the chain. And it kind of clips around your whole chain and you just pedal, you know, pedal, turn your cranks and it, the brushes work all the, they really get in there and work all the grit and grease out of there. So like I said, it's just you, you can do it by hand, but the uh, a chain cleaner does make it that much easier. I will say, however you decide to clean your bike, don't use high-pressure water. I see this all the time, and it makes me cringe. <laughs> uh, you want to just use like the light spray setting on your hose. I mean, not like the mist. You don't need that fine a spray, but just like the gentle shower. And even then, you want to avoid spraying directly into areas where you have bearings. So that's going to be your bottom bracket. That's going to be your hubs and your headset because too much pressure is going to force water inside the seals, which will then force the grease out and you're going to ruin your bearings really quickly. 
great advice. Well, we talked about several things uh, that, you know, you're going to want to check every ride or almost every ride, like your tire pressure and your chain um, and, you know, cleaning your bike pretty regularly. What are some of the things that people should be checking or addressing more than once a season, but not quite every single ride? One of the big ones for for people that run tubeless is uh, your tire sealant. I know this is one of those things like tire pressure that we've probably all been bitten by being lazy about this. Uh, One of my buddies actually just had this issue riding over the weekend. He hadn't replaced the sealant in his tires for who knows how long, and he ended up getting a flat, and he put a tube in, and what he didn't realize was there were thorns in his tire <laughs> because the, the the sealant had sealed around the thorns and he didn't you know didn't think to check and he ended up getting two more flats so basically you know three flats kind of ruined his ride again it's it's one of those things that's easy to do all you have to do to check is listen to hear if you hear sealant sloshing around inside your tire if you hear something sloshing around you're probably okay if you don't hear anything sloshing around, it's probably time to add some new sealant. Again, it's one of those things where there's no like hard and fast rule. Like you need to replace your sealant every three months or every 500 miles or whatever. Because again, it's one of those things where the climate is going to affect how long your, your sealant will last, like how long your bike, like where your bike is stored, you know, how long it's sitting. All those things are going to have an impact. Yeah. And how many punctures you have, you know, that that's the whole point of the sealant is you want it to come out, you know, when it needs to come out. And yeah, if it's sealing a whole bunch of thorns that you weren't aware of, uh, it's going to run out eventually. I'm totally guilty of that. And yeah, I mean, I've, I've even complained about that and said like, oh, you know, tubeless tires, they're, they're such high maintenance compared to a regular old tube. And in some ways they are, because with a tube, you just put it in. There's not a whole lot of maintenance involved, though you will get more flat tires. So definitely a trade-off and definitely something that I know that I personally need to be more regular about, you know, making sure that that sealant's in there. And like you, Aaron, I've had plenty of friends who get flat tire and they say, oh, how did I get a flat? You know, I've got, I've got tubeless tires. I got stands in there. And then they pull it off the rim. Yeah, it's completely dry in there. So yeah, make sure you have tubeless sealant in your tire. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those things that's really easy to do. It's easy to check for. And then most tubeless tires, you're going to have a valve with a, a removable valve core. So you take that out and you just squirt some new sealant in. It's not like you have to break the seal right. on, on the bead or anything. So you know, once your tires are sealed up, you kind of just need to dump a little more sealant in there every once in, once in a while. Yep. Well, we talked to about chains and making sure that your chain is lubed every ride. What about drivetrain wear? Chain stretch, it's real. It is real. Um, yeah, if you're riding a lot, maybe you should check your chain once a month. If you're riding less, maybe like once a quarter. Uh, it only takes a second to do. Again, it's one of those things that's super easy, so there's really no excuse not to do it. I mean, it takes less time to check than than it would to hook up a pump to your tire and see what kind of pressure you're running. There's a couple different models of chain checkers out there. I've got the slightly nicer Park Tool one um, that kind of gives you a range of where you are. It's like a little more precise. Um, but then there's just like the, it's just like a, a little piece of metal basically and you put it in between chain links and 
there's any slop in there, then your chain is stretched past the point where it's usable and you need to replace it. And that that chain checker is, I don't know, maybe $15. No, I was going to say that, six. Okay, yeah, all right. So <laughs> I was being, yeah, because I think the, the park tool one I have was like 20 or 25. So, you know, these aren't expensive tools. And if you ride a lot, there's really no excuse not to have one in your in your toolbox and it's so easy to do there's no there's no reason not to check it regularly yes definitely and we both say this from experience what about suspension that's kind of a black box to a lot of people and maybe they're not even sure what they should be looking at but what is something uh, that people can check about their suspension you know a few times a season yeah like everything else on your bike, you want to make sure you're keeping your suspension clean. You want to keep those seals all, you want to keep dirt and grit out of there as much as possible. Um, this is why I like to run a front fender on my forks at, on every bike, no, you know, no matter what time of year. Cause not only do they help keep mud out of your eyes, but they help dirt and dust from working its way in around the seal. So that's something you should be doing basically every ride is making sure you're just wiping down your suspension, making sure it's clean. But you know, maybe every once a month or something like that. Just check your suspension settings. Uh, you want to make sure your your sag is still set correctly. You want to make sure your rebound and compression settings are where they're supposed to be. You know, maybe just make sure none of your buddies are dialing down your rebound or compression to play a joke on you. Or you know, if you have kids and they're in there <laughs> turning knobs, uh, it can really make your bike ride like junk. Yep. You know, if you're keeping track of these things in your little shop notebook. It's easy to do. You'll you'll know exactly where your pressure needs to be. You'll know where your rebound and compression knobs need to be. And it's just a matter of counting the clicks and getting everything dialed in. Yeah. I don't know about our listeners, but I'm definitely feeling guilty about all of this right now, hearing all these things and how simple they are to do. You know, I mean, it's like, okay, check your suspension settings. Like that takes a minute to do that. And um, really has has so many benefits down the line for you. So, yeah, no more excuses for me anyway. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, unless something's wrong with your suspension, it shouldn't be leaking air, obviously. But you know, changes in temperature can affect your you know affect your pressure or changes in elevation, stuff like that. So it's just one of those things that, like I said, maybe you don't need to do every single ride, but you should definitely be doing. A handful of times a year. Yeah. And I mean, you bring up the point too, that if say that you are checking that suspension pressure regularly and you notice that you're losing pressure every time you check it, well, then that points to perhaps another problem um, that you should get checked out in more detail from your shop or, you know, at least a buddy who knows a little bit more than maybe you do. Exactly. Okay. What about brakes? We talked about you know, giving them the sort of the squeeze test every ride, but what's something a little more detailed that people should be looking at uh, a few times a season? Yeah, you want to check your your pad wear occasionally, but especially after really muddy or wet rides. And, you know, if you haven't checked your brake pads in a long time and you go out for a wet ride, definitely give your pads a look. You'd be really surprised by how much your pads can wear in crappy conditions. Uh, I know... From personal experience, I've gone through basically a brand new set of pads, uh, like riding the Snake Creek Gap here, um, doing the race in 
North Georgia. Um, wow. Yeah, it was really bad. It was really wet conditions and the, the, there's a lot of mica in the soil here. So that's really just fine, gritty, and there's some pretty intense descents where the, it's hard on your brakes. And yeah, I mean, my, my pads were worn to the to the point that they needed to be replaced. And it's another one of those things you want to catch early. Obviously, you want to be sure you have brake pads because that's how you stop. Mm. So that's if you let it go too long, it can be just, frankly, it's just dangerous. But the the other thing, you know, less life-threatening is you can damage your rotors. You know, if you let the pads wear down to their backing, you can gouge your rotors. And then not only do you need new pads, but you need new rotors too. Yeah. And that's something with the brake pads, you can just visually inspect them, you know, just look down from the top of the caliper, see if you got some brake pads. I mean, it helps to know what you're looking at in the first place. So um, definitely get familiar with what a good brake pad looks like. And then you'll know when it's not looking like that, that you need to do something to your bike. Yeah. So brake pads are going to have a little like spreader spring, and that's what pushes the pads apart. And yeah, basically if your brake pad is getting anywhere close to being worn flush to that spring, it's time to change your pads because if you wear past that spring, that's when you can really cause some damage because your rotors will catch on that spring and can rip that spring out. And yeah, then you're just in a whole world of trouble. Yes. Well, we've talked about a number of things that are pretty easy to check, easy maintenance tasks to handle, you know, whether it be every ride or once a month uh, or a few times a season. What are some things that really only need to be addressed a couple times a year or even once a season? Probably, you know, suspension would be the biggest one in this category. Most manufacturers recommend rebuilding your fork once a year and it can be expensive if you're paying somebody to do it, but really it's it's not that hard to do at home if you're a confident mechanic and you have the right tools. That would be the two big caveats there mm-hmm. because the, the basic rebuild kits themselves aren't that expensive. Uh, you know, the seals and and um, and wipers and stuff like that, the O-rings, that that's you're you're not talking about, you know, hundreds of dollars. You're talking about tens of dollars at that point. But if you're having to send your suspension off, then you're, you know, you're looking at a lot more money. Mm-hmm. Same is true for for rear shocks. You probably want to get those done once a season. So yeah, and I don't know, it can be a tough pill to swallow. Like let's say you're just like I I don't know I'm not confident doing this at home, and you know it sucks spending a hundred or like a hundred and twenty five bucks whatever it is to mm-hmm. to have your suspension rebuilt. Yeah, even when I mean, especially when there's nothing wrong with the fork, right? I mean, you, as far as you can tell, it's working as it's supposed to, and that I think that's the big hang-up a lot of people have uh, with these things is they see it as uh, I don't know, like a nice to have or like oh, you know, technically you should, but I mean, what are the what are the risks to not doing it? Well, yeah, part of it is you, you kind of get as you're any component as the performance degrades since you're the one riding it all the time, you don't really notice that since it's spread over a long period of time, right? Mm. Like, but then if you jump on a, a new bike with a brand new fork on it, you're like, wow, my, my fork feels like garbage. Right. Like, yeah, it does because you haven't 
rebuilt it. Again, it's just one of those things that like if you catch it early, you're going to avoid having like major repairs down the road. But yeah, to go back to what I was I was saying a second ago, you know, it does it does suck having to pay that maintenance cost, but if you think about it, I mean, apart from your frame, your suspension components are are probably among the most expensive things on your bike, you know, so like, well, yeah, maybe it sucks to spend a hundred bucks a year getting your fork worked on. A new fork is going to be, you know, 500 to 1200 bucks. So it's just, you know, it's just like anything. I mean, like, you know, bikes aren't maintenance free. I mean, pretty much nothing is. I mean, you, you know, you have to do that kind of stuff on your, your car, you know, like if you have skis, you got to get them tuned up like every year. That's always, right. there's always some kind of maintenance cost. And yeah, while while it 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 can suck to come out of pocket for that stuff, um, it's a lot better than buying a new fork. Yeah, that's true. What about pivot bearings? I know that's something I let go for a very long time on my mountain bike before doing, and you've replaced your own before. I think you were telling me about you know how much time it took and stuff, so that kind of scared me away from it. But it's definitely something that needs to be done regularly, right? Yeah, again, depending on where you're riding, your your conditions, that kind of stuff, it's going to it's going to have an impact on how often you have to do it and also like the the type of bike you have, the suspension linkage. I know Santa Cruz and um Intense and some other brands they have little fittings where you can actually add grease to your your suspension pivots and that'll help everything last a little bit longer. Um but yeah, my my old Kona process, it had like 12 bearings in the rear triangle. Yeah. And they were all, they were multiple sizes. So it took, it took some time to like make sure that I ordered all the right bearings that I needed. And then you really need some specific tools to remove and reinstall the bearings. And those tools aren't cheap. I was lucky enough that my buddy at uh, Chris at Loose Nuts Cycles here in Atlanta, was uh, was kind enough to lend me his uh, bearing removal and reinstallation kit, but that is definitely, you know, that is not going to be the norm. Like, you're not going to be able to go to your local shop and say, like, hey, will you lend me your, you know, <laughs> $800 bearing, you know, punch and press kit? Like, that's... Right. Yeah. And, I mean, it took so long. I mean, it probably took me, I don't know, five or six hours at home to take it all apart and clean everything and then press all the new bearings back in. So, I mean, after doing, it was, I definitely had a sense of accomplishment when I finished, but <laughs> it's not something I was like real anxious to do again. I was kind of like, you know what, maybe, maybe I'll just pay Chris to do this next time, you know? <laughs> right. That's exactly what I did. I took mine to Chris and I had the opposite thing where you had to buy all the bearings, but you, you know, provided the free labor. I had him do the labor, but he got all the bearings from Santa Cruz for free. So, it wasn't as expensive, I guess, as I thought it would be, and I didn't have to do anything. Yeah, I think if you're the original owner, Santa Cruz gives you free bearings for life, right? Yeah, yeah, and like you said too, they they even when I bought the frame, it came with the grease gun to let you, you know, add grease to the bearings. I I never quite figured out how to use the bearing bearing grease gun, uh, so that was my bad. And I wanted to ask you though, like, how often or how long do you think it's going to be before you have to do that again to your bike? Is that like a once a year or every few years kind of thing? On that bike, it was probably 
you probably get a year and a half out of the bearings. Oh, that's all. Yeah, not a whole lot. Because, I mean, some of the bearings were really small too, which plays into it. Um, and these bearings aren't rotating very much. Uh, you know, these bearings aren't spinning like 360 degrees. So they sometimes, they, you know, they, they rotate just a handful of degrees back and forth. So if you think about that, like they can kind of get notched out. Yeah, wears them in one spot over and over. I mean, obviously, the plus side to this is your bike's going to ride like new again, and your your suspension is going to work better. It's just going to feel your bike's just going to feel a whole lot better. Probably the easiest way to check for this if you need new bearings is obviously one if something's making noise again. That's the big one. But another way you can do this is to let all the air out of your rear shock, and then just take the rear triangle and you know lift it up and down throughout its range of travel and if you feel if it feels notchy it feels like something's catching or you hear any grinding then chances are you need to uh, replace some bearings in your linkage is that something will you hear like creaking too i think i feel like that was part of the reason why i finally said i, I should probably replace yeah, things for sure. yeah for sure i mean creaking again that's you know any of those auditory clues are always always good to keep your ears open for yeah Speaking of bike creaking, I think the number one cause for me anyway is a bad bottom bracket um, because those have bearings as well. And a lot of people like me, they end up buying a new bottom bracket whenever the bearings wear out. But uh, you can also replace those yourself, right? Yeah. Um, I think, for instance, like the bearings for a Shimano threaded bottom bracket, are they're like $8. Um, and if your shop has has the right tools for it, it should be a quick and cheap job for them to handle and you know i mean yes a brand new bottom bracket isn't that expensive but you know if you don't need the whole bottom bracket you know if your cups are still in good shape then i think it's just a little maybe a little less wasteful yeah save a save a few bucks makes makes some difference over time yeah i definitely feel bad about buying so many bottom brackets i don't know why (laughs) i have a problem with them maybe i ride in you know, really wet. Ride through too many creeks. Yeah, too much wet or maybe it's the pressure washer that I use to clean my bike. (laughs) Just kidding. But yeah, I've got like a whole drawer full of old bottom bracket pieces and I'm like, why am I holding on to this? I just feel bad about throwing it away. So maybe I'll just start replacing the bearings. There you go. Okay. Brakes. We talked about that for all the steps here, really, you know, we talked about every ride you should be checking your brakes um, and then pretty regularly you should be checking the pads but there are also some sort of seasonal tasks that you should do for your brakes right yeah maybe not seasonal but maybe if you're not super hard on your brakes you can get a couple of seasons out of them but uh, you know bleeding your brakes and that's probably one of my least favorite things to do mechanically and some some brands are a lot easier to work with than others, but they're basically all a pain no matter what. I mean, they're just varying degrees of of uh, of hassle, right? Because they're it's messy and it's kind of a finicky process too, right? You could yeah. you could do it and then you still end up with an air bubble in it and you got to start all over again. Yeah. Yes, definitely been there. I think in general brakes have um, improved and they're slightly easier to bleed but yeah it's still yeah it it does it, it's that's like the worst feeling when you go through the <laughs> whole process and you think you're good to go and you get everything reattached and cleaned up and then you're like yeah that's still this lever's still spongy 
And that's, that's one of the, you know, again, it's one of those things where you need to kind of be in tune with your bike and it comes down to feel. So if your levers feel spongy or if they're pulling in too far on descents, like that's an indication that it's a time to bleed the system, that there's either air in the system or the, your fluid has just been degraded over, you know, over hours or seasons or whatever of use. I mean, generally my opinion on brakes is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But there is, you know, there is something to be said for, you know, doing that once a season if you're riding rarely, maybe once every couple seasons if you if you're a more casual rider. And again, I think it's one of those things like your suspension or your your linkage, uh, your bearings and your linkage. You're not going to notice how bad it is, exact, you know, like because they're you know you're you're riding your bike, the fluid's getting bad. So you just kind of like slightly adjust your riding style over time. Mm-hmm. And then once you have some freshly bled brakes and some new pads, you're like, wow, yeah, <laughs> that's how my brakes are supposed to feel. Right. Yeah. I usually know when, you know, my lever starts touching my bar and I'm like, <laughs> whoa, hold on now. Yeah, that's not right. I don't think that's right. Nope. And yeah. And, and you'll, a lot of times too, we'll try to fool ourselves and like adjust the lever or like do different things, but. You know, when it's time to bleed your brakes, like you said, you'll know it and it's worth doing and having someone do it for you if you're not comfortable with that or you just don't have the time, you know, just just take it to your shop, you know. Yeah. Any any bike shop worth its salt should definitely be able to bleed whatever brand of uh, brakes that you have. Yeah. And, you know, the, the other thing in, that we haven't really talked about in this discussion, but people like me who are lax about their maintenance have sort of figured out these hacks where you can get items that are a little bit less maintenance intense, if that's a thing. So like I said about the tires, you know, you can run tubes if you hate trying to remember to put stands in your tires. For me, bleeding brakes is a real hassle and something that I hate having to think about. And so on at least one of my bikes, I went back to mechanical brakes just because they're going to be a little bit lower maintenance. And when time does come for maintenance, it's a lot easier for me anyway to just throw a cable in and, you know, get back on the trail rather than trying to suffer through bleeding. So that's definitely a consideration. Whatever you buy, whatever components you choose for your bike, you know, it's not just about the upfront costs. There are other maintenance costs involved, both in your time and in the expense of buying parts or supplies or labor or whatever it may be. Do you have any hacks like that, Aaron? Do you do you consider the maintenance when you buy a part for your bike, or is that is that not really a big deal to you? It's not a major consideration, I would say, but it definitely factors in to to certain things and. You know, it's not necessarily make or break. Like one thing, for instance, is both my old Kona, which I just sold, which was a great bike, but I got a I got a new bike recently. Um, but both these bikes have press fit bottom brackets, and it's Ew. yeah, it's definitely not my favorite thing, just because they're not they're not that easy to work on at home. They're not you know user friendly, and in my experience, like the the bottom brackets themselves just haven't lasted as long for whatever reason like for instance this new uh intense that i i got i used a race face crank in which has a 30 millimeter spindle which with a press fit 92 is getting pretty technical but with 
Anyway, with the with the bottom bracket shell that I have on the bike, that really large 30 millimeter spindle on the cranks doesn't leave a lot of room for the bearings. And I mean, after just three or four rides, like the bearings on this thing are already starting to feel like junk. So I actually ordered a new bottom bracket and I'm switching back to a a set of cranks that has a smaller spindle, which will allow the use of larger and hopefully more durable bearings. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's definitely, yeah, like I said, it's not like a make or break decision. It just does. It's like, it is a little more annoying to deal with certain things like that. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's the argument that we hear for some of the new tech that's coming out, you know, particularly where it involves electronics and biking, right? So you've got your electronic drivetrains and, you know, one of the concerns that people have is, am I going to have to now replace batteries and worry about, you know, electronics getting wet and things like that. So it's definitely a consideration uh, that people have when they put their bikes together. And so if you're like me and you're maintenance averse, definitely consider how you might be able to choose parts that require less maintenance. Yeah. I'm definitely interested in electronic drivetrains. I think right now the uh, the biggest barrier is still the cost. I know Shimano's DI2 groups have gotten really good marks on being reliable and relatively maintenance-free, but I have heard from pretty much universally that they are uh, not the easiest things to set up initially. Mm. And part of that is just having to run the wires for everything. Right. So I would like to see... A, a wireless electric group, which SRAM has one for the road right now. So I got to think that they're working on that. But yeah, the idea of having a wireless group where you just bolt on the rear derailleur and bolt on the shifter and that's it. Like that sounds, that sounds pretty attractive. Yeah, it does. Okay. Finally, what are some good resources or tools that people can use to keep up on their bike maintenance or to learn how to make repairs? You mentioned having a little notebook. I think that's a pretty good tip, something that everybody can do, but what else is out there? Obviously go to single tracks. We have tons of articles and how to's and and things like that uh, on our site. But if you prefer print, the park tool big blue book of bicycle maintenance is probably the best and most up-to-date and and handy reference book out there currently lots of photos lots of detail so it's pretty pretty handy to have is that book focused on maintenance as opposed to repair it's a little bit of both i guess it'd probably be more repair i mean otherwise it's hard to beat youtube i mean that's probably the resource i use most often When I'm in my shop, I either have my tablet or phone handy, and if I get stuck, I'll look up the problem that I'm having. And chances are someone has posted a video of how to fix the exact problem I'm having. And of course, you're going to have to sift through some garbage videos where it's like some guy who's trying to fix his bike and hold his phone in the other hand at the same time and <laughs> it's you know terrible lighting and everything so there's a lot of there's a lot of junk out there but uh one thing i will say is more and more manufacturers are creating their own tech videos and i find that to be really helpful you know that way you know you're doing things exactly by the book since it's the company putting out the the video themselves absolutely yeah and the other thing we mentioned earlier too is some people 
use apps like Strava to keep sort of an electronic record of how many miles they have on their parts and things. Um, and then, of course, you can use all kinds of general purpose, you know, smartphone apps like Google Docs or Evernote. Yeah, Evernote. I know Greg's a big fan of Evernote to keep track of that kind of stuff. So definitely, you know, it's one of those things where the the more you track it, the better you're going to sort of be in control of it and make sure that it happens. So there are definitely a lot of tools out there that are great for keeping track of your maintenance stuff and hopefully making it a little bit easier to stay on top of that. Yeah, and I would also say be sure to check out our podcast on that we did on the recommended tools for setting up your home shop. Yes, having the right tools helps big time. Well, that's all we've got this week. Thanks for joining us. Remember, if you're enjoying the Single Tracks podcast, we'd love to have you rate us. It's actually really, really easy to do if you're using the podcast app from Apple on your iPhone. Uh, you literally just click the stars you want to rate it and boom, you rated us. Which is five. Yes, five is the right number. Also, don't forget about the contest that's going on right now. Go to singletracks.com slash podcast 150. That's singletracks.com slash podcast 150. Enter your email address and you might win a prize on February 1st, 2018. Talk to you next time. Peace.